Welcome to the Daily Dose, where we are currently walking through an overview of the entire Bible. Join us today as we learn the story of Scripture and see God's redemptive plan through Christ from cover to cover. Let's listen to Matt Reister, Director of Christian Crusaders and the Cedar Falls Bible Conference. Today we're going to focus on Mark 14, verse 7. And this is a very specific verse, and you've got to be careful not to rip it out of context. This is also a topic that I'll admit ahead of time I could get in trouble with. I'm going to try to ask some questions and present some ideas, not make any conclusive statements, because I know this might be controversial, and I don't even know exactly where I land on it yet. So let me just give you our email address ahead of time. If you have have any thoughts, insights, questions you want to push back, it's info at christiancrusaders.org. We'd love to hear from you. I'll personally respond and we'll see what comes of this. Also, before we dive in, let me point you to another episode of this podcast back in Matthew chapter 26 verses 1 through 13, where we deal with the parallel text to this passage in Mark in a more comprehensive, holistic way. The Matthew devotion episode 571 on this podcast covers the text in its entirety. We're just going to hone in on chapter 14, verse 7, which touches on an issue that I've thought a lot about over the years. So before we get to verse 7, let me just set the stage. Jesus is reclining at a table in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper. A woman comes in with an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive, breaks it, and anoints Jesus with this very expensive nard, oil. And his disciples rebuke the woman. The end of verse 4 says this, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Now here's what we're going to land on, verse 7. Jesus continues, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. I touched on this in the episode from the Matthew text, but I want to land on it today. Jesus seems to imply, if not just outright say, that there will always be poor people with us. And I don't want to be fatalistic or insensitive about people who live in poverty. But if Jesus Christ says it will always be with us, then it raises a question in my mind. What priority should we put on ending poverty? Again, like I said, I know it's not popular to even ask that question. But as I look around at Christian churches and Christian ministries and just the general consensus among Christians, I think a lot of us would say that it should be a very high priority to eradicate poverty. And to be fair, even in verse 7, Jesus says that you can do good for poor people whenever you want. In other words, while he is implying that we'll always have poverty with us, he's also implying that we should do good for people who are poor. So my question isn't so much should we help the poor as much as it is what priority should we put on eradicating poverty. There's also some other questions related to this, like what is poverty. Now, I don't want to be callous toward people who are poor in America, but America's poor are much, much different than India's poor. In fact, as a general rule, the poorest people in America are very, very wealthy compared to the poorest people in the world. And I understand that that fact doesn't help anybody in America who can't pay their electric bill or who struggles to put food on the table for every meal. But even if we agreed that we should help the poor, it seems fair to ask the question, who are the poor? I'm going to recommend a couple books here written by Christian authors that I haven't totally read, but that I've heard good reviews on, which broach this subject. First one is called The Poverty of Nations by Barry Osmus and Wayne Grudem. I'll put a link to that in our show notes if you want to check it out. These guys start out of the gate seeming to suggest that Christians should be involved in solving or eradicating poverty. The summary on Amazon says the whole world has a stake in the war against poverty and leaders across the globe are looking for a permanent solution. That 
That's why economist Barry Asmus and theologian Wayne Grudem have teamed up to outline a robust proposal for fighting poverty on a national level. And then it goes on from there. The second book I'll recommend is called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. This is written by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. This summary says poverty is much more than simply a lack of material resources and it takes much more than donations and handouts to solve it. When Helping Hurts shows how some alleviation efforts failing to consider the complexities of poverty have actually and unintentionally done more harm than good. And it goes on from there. If you're like me, you're never quite sure to what degree you should be involved in helping the poor or what that should look like. You see somebody holding a cardboard sign at the stop sign outside the grocery store. They're there all the time. You stop and give them five bucks or not. You're walking in a big city. Somebody asks you for some change. Should you give them your change or not? Because of the number of safety nets that exist in America and because of how bad poverty is in places like India, should I focus all my money that I would give to the poor on people in India instead of people in America? I don't have answers to those questions. And honestly, where should helping the poor rank in my priority of things I can give my money to? One more thing that we haven't touched on. There's material poverty and then there's spiritual poverty. And every one of us in our natural condition is spiritually destitute. And the only way to move from destitute to an heir of Almighty God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I have a hunch because the stakes are eternal instead of just temporal, meaning material poverty on this earth will only last for as long as a person is on this earth, whereas spiritual poverty will last forever for somebody who doesn't put their faith in Christ. I have a hunch that we should prioritize eradicating spiritual poverty ahead of eradicating material poverty. I also think that in some cases we can do both things at the same time. Whatever the conclusion is that you and I should draw on this matter, I think it's interesting that Jesus rebuked his disciples who suggested that the alabaster jar could have been sold and the money given to the poor. It's interesting that he told them the poor would always be with them so they'd always have an opportunity to help out poor people. And he praised the woman who quote unquote has done what she could and anointed my body beforehand for burial. In fact, it was so notable, Jesus said, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Praising and honoring and revering Jesus is not always mutually exclusive with helping poor people, but in this case, it was. The jar could have been dumped on Jesus to anoint him, or it could have been sold and the money given to the poor, and Jesus commends her for choosing the former and chastises the disciples for rebuking her regarding the latter. Very interesting, and I'd be totally interested in your thoughts and insights in response to this. Have a good day. The Daily Dose is a podcast of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, share with a friend, and prayerfully consider financially supporting our ministry at christiancrusaders.org, where you can also find our weekly 30-minute radio broadcast, which is aired on stations around the world since 1936, and where you can listen to our Conversations podcast featuring inspiring interviews with interesting Christians. Special thanks to our 2022 Daily Dose sponsor, The Family Leader. God designed three social institutions to shape our lives the family, the church, and government. At The Family Leader, they're bringing all three together to honor God and bless our neighbors. Learn how and join them at thefamilyleader.com. That's thefamilyleader.com. We also want to highlight two ministry partners. First is the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, whose conference videos and schedule events are available at cedarfallsbibleconference.com. And please consider joining us for their 101st annual conference from Saturday, July 30th through Saturday, August 6th in 2022. Second, if you or someone you know could benefit 
from an anonymous online Christian mentor, please visit issuesiface.com, which is provided by Power to Change Digital Strategies. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.